and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is a spoiler-free podcast. So whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thank you for listening. Now, on to the episode. Season 6, Episode 7. Once more with feeling. Alright, let's do our vocal warm-ups. <laughs> me, 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 me. <laughs> I'm ready to sing. I'm ready to sing this whole episode. Are you? No. <laughs> um, What a delight. I can't believe we're here, honestly. Like, this is one of the biggest episodes of Buffy. One of the most memorable. One of the favorites. Top three. We did think about skipping it, right? You know, we're just like we're like maybe we should do it. I don't know. Maybe we we weren't gonna. <laughs> we we're gonna be we we're gonna be edgy and skip it over. But no, how could we ever skip over this episode? What an entertaining hour of television! I was watching it um, for the podcast. I watched it maybe two or three times, and I just smiled through the whole thing. I just think it's delight. Yeah, I, I mean, it's one of the best episodes of the series consistently for a reason. Um, I will say, prior to rewatching it for the podcast today, I was a little burnt out on it. I was a little like jaded, maybe. I was like, it's not as good as everybody says it is. <laughs> but rewatching it and stuff, I actually made notes this time, like good, detailed, scene by scene, song by song notes, which listeners. I don't know if you can tell, I don't normally do that, unlike Steph's, <laughs> who makes these impeccable, amazing, you know, line-by-line notes. And that process actually, and maybe I should do this for more of the episodes, but uh, it, it made me appreciate the episode so much more. I got so much out of it, and I'm so excited to talk to you about it. I'm shocked that you made notes. I'm happy that you did. Uh, you, you let me peek at them earlier, and I was like, whoa! <laughs> when, it, when, it, when you say notes, I assume like, you know, five or six bullet points, but like you made <laughs> notes, and I'm excited to hear them. You you told me previously that you're not uh, a huge musical fan. Is that correct? Yeah. Like, up until recently, I probably would have said, oh, I, I don't listen to musicals at all, even though, like, I have the Buffy soundtrack. Actually, if I can make a confession, since I, I don't think anybody's going to come after me for this now, I actually illegally ripped the Buffy soundtrack from a CD I borrowed from the library. Mm. So I'm a criminal. Yeah, I'm going to do a citizen's <laughs> arrest here. <laughs> as soon as I'm in Thunder Bay, I'm going to get you. <laughs> that, that was probably the edgiest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, <laughs> Rebel car. Bad to the bone. You're, you're like, you're like um, Janice and Dawn from All the Way. You're just a bad girl. <laughs> I really am. I'm like Buffy joining the white girl gang. Um, no, so so yeah, so I've had the soundtrack for Once Worth Feeling. I have the Wicked soundtrack, which I really enjoy. But yeah, up until recently, I wouldn't have called myself a fan of musicals. I think now I'm kind of realizing maybe I've been in denial. Maybe I do actually like musicals. And there's just like a part of me that's like, it's not cool if I like me. I don't know what it is. I can't, I can't explain it. But what about you, Steph? I think you, especially with your Disney 
journey mm-hmm. have a bit more of an appreciation for musicals than I do. Oh, I love musicals. I love Broadway. Uh, yeah, Disney movies are essentially musicals. I love any time in a movie or a TV show where characters just burst into song. They don't always do it for reason, uh, for, um, for as good of a reason as they do in this particular episode <laughs> in this show. Uh, often it's like hallucinations or like an alternate reality or something. But I just really love when a character or or the characters in a show or movie are feeling so much emotion that they have to burst into song because that is essentially what a musical is right you you can only express your feelings and your your truths through music and um i'm a huge music listener as well like i just really love to get into my feels (laughs) when i'm driving or when i'm doing um, oh i feel chores yeah Yeah, so so it's it's more or less the same thing when it comes to watching movies i love being in my feels and music helps with that or music makes that happen so musicals are like completely my thing i love them and that's why it's it's so fitting that this particular episode episode seven of season six is a musical episode because as i said when you're feeling emotional in a musical you burst into song and that's exactly what's going on with the scoobies right the last six episodes has just been building tension and angst and anxiety and the only way that they can possibly express their feelings and get these secrets out in the open is through song and i think you know i don't like to pat joss whedon on the back too often but i will for this episode because it is brilliant it's a brilliant idea it's wonderfully executed it's a delight it it just it's just really fun it's charming yeah, I, I was reading a listicle the other day that was ranking television musical episodes um, in in the context of Star Trek Strange New Worlds just dropped as episode nine of season two, uh, the very first musical episode in the Star Trek universe. And so this article was ranking, you know, all these different TV musical episodes and uh, it put Buffy at like number seven, I think. Ugh. I know. And their excuse was because Joss Whedon. And it's like, well, Look, I totally get that Joss Whedon's not a nice guy, allegedly. Um, we did a whole episode about that. We put him on trial. I, I think we could say that up front. We can acknowledge that. But at the same time, like, again, sure, this guy wrote the songs, but this episode is not just the lyrics to the songs that he wrote. This episode is the vocals. It's the intr- instrumentals. It's the dancing. It's everything, right? It is a product of more than just Joss Whedon. Yeah, absolutely. And also, like, we gave Joss Whedon props for brilliant episodes like The Body and Hush, right? So this is no different. Like, he, like, I'm mm-hmm. like, brilliant people can be assholes. <laughs> Too often so. And I mean, when you think about it, right, like, this episode is actually an example of Joss Whedon being peak mediocre white man in the sense of, like, this is a guy who's, like, how hard is it to write a 50-minute musical anyway? <laughs> like, you know, he's like, he's just like, well, I guess I'll just give it a try. And he just pounds out some songs on his guitar and figures things out. And, you know, it's just like the latitude that he got from the network to do this, um, the buy-in that he managed to get from the cast. I, once again, I just want to pause for a moment and acknowledge like how special Buffy the Vampire Slayer is as a TV series how many swings it takes, how many hits it gets from those swings. This is an episode that that it's like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Yeah, well said. And uh, also, like, kudos to the crew and the cast for pulling this off. Um, one of the things I adore about this episode is that everyone's using their real voice to sing. 
mm-hmm. um, including my baby. Can you hear in the background crying right now? <laughs> um, uh, but like they didn't, they could have used dubs, they could have used voiceovers, but they didn't. And I think that makes it better because the point is that these characters are breaking into song. It doesn't mean they have to be good. It's just that that's what's happening to them, right? So, and surprising talents. You know, like there are some people in here that are surprisingly good at what they're doing. Um, a lot of people we expect to be good, like Giles, but um, yeah. First, a couple other things, right? Uh, first off, so we're going to approach this episode much as we normally do when it comes to the songs. We're going to dig into the songs, both the performances and the lyrics, and talk about the meaning and how it relates to the characters and the plots and stuff. We're not experts in musical theater. So, what we've arranged to do for all of you lovely listeners, is we're going to have a bonus episode coming out shortly after this one, and it's going to have guests from the podcast Breaking the Curtain. Uh, And they're going to join us as experts in musical theater to talk to us about how this episode works as a musical. So stay tuned for that. Also, I will add, Cara, did you notice that when there's a musical episode, there's like 75% 75% more flip doos like just flip doos everywhere. I'm Every so number. happy you noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, woo, another flip doo Did you notice, Steph, that this episode is the only one in widescreen? I didn't notice something like that. I noticed that everything is brightly lit and beautiful, as musicals should be. Ooh, I'm so excited to talk about it. Okay, so let's get into it. New credits. It's a musical episode. We're going to have a musical overture with the new fancy credits with that shows all of our cast. And we open with a title that says Once More With Feeling and epic music's playing, right? Like... Da-na-na-na. So, Steph, do you have any alternate titles for this episode? Oh, shit. Um, I was thinking uh, Singing in the Pain. <laughs> I like, I like. Yeah. Um, we could call also call it No Homo, considering <laughs> the ending, the resolution. Yes, yes, I had that point too. I, I caught that. Uh, <laughs> uh, or a bit more of a serious suggestion, Now You've Done It. Oh, okay, okay. I think that applies to like most of the characters' plots in this episode. Right, right. I would also lean into uh, the Buffy horror picture show. <laughs> Mm, there's plenty okay. there's plenty of uh alternative titles we could use but we focus on an alarm clock right because it's 7 a.m and it goes off and buffy lifts the alarm clock off of the dresser and just stares at it and this would so be the beginning of hairspray um if anyone's seen the musical hairspray where it also opens up with um our main protagonist waking up in bed except it's a lot more happy (laughs) so (laughs) willow and tara are getting ready for their day they're hustling and bustling to the sound of music in the background tara is making the bed and uh she finds a flower under the pillow right but tara that's a cursed flower if we remember (laughs) what happened at the end of last episode oh no uh but she's happy to wear it and dawn needs to pee so willow rushes out of the bathroom so it's just basically this first scene all we hear is music um but we see that everyone's really busy except for buffy who's literally just lying in bed staring at her alarm clock yeah buffy's uh buffy's a slow poke in the mornings this is our first time actually seeing buffy and the scoobies cohabitating in buffy's house yeah you know i i've been hearing a lot of comments from people that say that it, it was rude of willow and tara to take the master bedroom to take joyce's old room and not give it to buffy but i don't know i feel like buffy would want her room i feel like the bigger room should go to the co to the people who are the two people that are staying 
together. I don't know. Yeah, yes, and also she was dead. <laughs> to be fair, <laughs> she was dead. So the Buffy bot chose to stay in the room. To begin with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't you're know. not. Yeah, you're not going to stick the Buffy bot in the master bedroom. Like that just that just doesn't make sense. And I was also like, you know what? Um, there's a lot of things to be mad about for, with Willow and Tara. I don't. That that's not one for me. So uh, we cut to the magic shop. Same music's playing. Right, Anya and Xander are looking at bridal magazines, helping customers. Giles takes a bad book out of Dawn's hands um, who rolls her eyes because she's a teenager and Tara and Willow are looking at texts and Buffy's just like drawing a dark hole like when she's just drawing <laughs> like I don't know what she's we so drawing. rarely see Buffy sketching that it really threw me I'm I like this montage love me a good montage this is normal life for the Scoobies right like this is just establishing the setting of the play yeah and it's it's so it's so musical, right? Like we don't hear anything. We don't hear chatter. We don't hear any like tinking, like um, you know, like the the washroom sink running or anything like that. It's just the music. So we cut to Buffy patrolling the cemetery at night, and she starts to sing, right? And this is the first song of the episodes. It's called "Going Through the Motions." Kara, you used to listen to my Disney podcast, but we talked about the "I Want" song. That's yeah, like the one thing I know about musicals. Yeah. <laughs> so that is the song that the usually the princess in a Disney movie, like you know Belle or Mulan or anybody, when when they sing about what it is that they want, right? What is in their heart's desire? Is it finding a prince, being accepted from their family? You know, is it is it adventure in the great wide somewhere? Uh, they sing about what they want. So this is Buffy's I Want song. She sings, uh, like, obviously, Car and I are not going to sing out the song for you, but we will pull out uh, quotes that stood out to us. Basically, Buffy is talking about how she feels estranged, right, from her life, which is exactly what we've been talking about the last six episodes. Yeah, the the line, the lyrics literally start with, every single night, the same arrangement. And arrangement, of course, has that equivocation of it's how you arrange things, how you make sense of your life. Mm -hmm. But an arrangement in music is also a particular version of a piece composed for, you know, like an orchestral version of a pop song would be a different arrangement. Uh, so we're already seeing there's lots of references in this song as well as others in this episode to the whole musical genre, right? She goes on to say uh, that she's walking through the part in this song. Yeah. I mean, that's another reason why I would give kudos to Joss Whedon for putting these things in and also for the direction of what she does while she's singing. So she, so at one point, she's walking through the cemetery singing and a vampire jumps out at her. And as she's singing, she's beating him up. And she says, nothing seems to penetrate my heart as she stakes him in the heart. <laughs> it's so yeah, it's so this is this is a dynamic dance number. You've got the demon backup dancers. They actually perform in the song at one point. One of the vampires says, she ain't got that swing, which is a direct reference to um, Ella Fitzgerald and Duke Ellington's classic, It Don't Mean a Thing, If It Ain't Got That Swing song. Mm -hmm. so, she, so Buffy comes across a demon and his vampire lackeys, and they're doing some sort of sacrifice. They're doing some sort of sacrificial ritual in the cemetery, and a man is tied to a tree, and one... <laughs> One vampire attacks her with a sword, and this is when they join the song, right? And I love this. I love that the vampires and demons are dancing and singing along with Buffy, because when you first watch her 
singing in the cemetery and then obviously we saw her day where like the music was playing in the background you're like is it just Buffy it's not it's the other demons and are joining in too Buffy grabs a sword and she fights off the vampires she dusts one and stabs the one demon (laughs) and he dies he's got like some really cool ram horns on his head he's got like little curly horns yeah and a good voice on him too it was just really funny when he's like going through the motions like in the background (laughs) um and then (laughs) but a captive man the captain man joins the song right and he says how can i repay and she's just like whatever and like as in like she doesn't give a shit and it's so the funny one time she could get the guy yeah she's she's pushing away everything that you would think that a, a pretty girl would want in a situation like this right well and buffy in the first five seasons might have been into it <laughs> you know like yeah so so i really like the pair of lines or sorry the triplet that says crawl out of your grave you find this fight just doesn't mean a thing um, and then later on, she says, sleepwalk through my life's endeavor. This is the first song of the episode. And we're already acknowledging, basically, that Buffy has complex PTSD. Yes. She came back from war, a.k.a. her death. She's changed. Um, and now she has to deal with the meaninglessness of it all, right? When you've been through something and you've seen as much hell as Buffy has, and then you come back and everybody just expects you to settle down into a normal life. It's a really difficult adjustment, and that's what Buffy's singing about in this song. And honestly, I think when she talks about sleepwalking through her life's endeavor, I feel like she's been this way since Prophecy Girl, right? Do we remember season two? Mm-hmm. Then she was bad? Yep. Right? Like, she already died once, and that was traumatic for her, and she came back, and everybody was like, cool, you get to keep doing this now. <laughs> and she's just like... Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, and then she died a second time and she was in peaceful, like this heaven dimension. Right. And then they brought her back and they're like, guess what, Buffy? You get to keep slaying. And she's just like, great. (laughs) Um, So so like she's not here for it. And she's I I think she's trying to tell us there's a part of her that's been on autopilot since season two. Yeah. What she's saying, I I want, right? Because this is her I want song. She wants, she Mm -hmm. literally says it at the end. I just want to be alive, right? And she is Mm -hmm. alive, but she's not living. She's not feeling anything. She's not passionate about anything. Nothing really matters to her. And she wants to feel something. She wants to feel like she did before. She wants to have that spark of humanity back. And she doesn't feel that, right? So, Well, and, and the demons, right? Like any good chorus in a stage show, they are actually representing her inner demons. They are giving voice to everything that she thinks is wrong with her. God, this episode's good. Um, also, I'll add that. So, so the, the song ends. She goes, "I just want to be alive," and she 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 dusts the last vamp as she does that. Yes, and as, the camera work. Oh, and as she sings "Alive," the dust flies around her like like. I, I cannot compare it to anything else than a Disney princess when the wind flies around Pocahontas, when the when the waves float around Ariel. Like this is her Disney princess moment, but it's vampire dust and it's so fitting (laughs) i love it so we cut to the magic box and again everything is lit up really beautifully everyone's wearing like the girls are wearing costumes (laughs) costumes <laughs> you know like buffy's in in a like a a blazer she's all business uh but tara and willow are are straight up wearing like disney princess costumes <laughs> <laughs> especially tara so um and they all look beautiful everyone looks beautiful so buffy comes in and um 
she asks the group, you know, no research, nothing going on, monsters or whatnot. And Giles just shakes his head. And Buffy's like, good, good. So did anybody last night, did anybody burst into song? (laughs) And it's quiet for a second. And then the Scoobies all start talking very quickly over top of each other. And that's something I noticed a lot in this episode, that everyone talks over the other. And it's almost like only when they sing can they get their voices heard, right? So Xander says, like, merciful Zeus. And Willow says, we thought it was just us. It was bizarre. And Giles says, well, I sang, but I had a guitar. And Poppy's saying, it was like we were in a musical. And Giles is saying, well, that would explain the huge backing orchestra I couldn't see and the synchronized dancing from the room service chaps. We missed out on quite the show last night, Kara. <laughs> right. So this scene is establishing that actually there were a lot of musical numbers that weren't featured in this episode. Show us the tapes. Right. We want we want all of them. And also it shows that Giles has moved himself into a hotel. He doesn't want to stay on Buffy's couch anymore for fear that he will continue getting knocked out by all the monsters that visit him visit them there. So <laughs> Uh, Anya says that her and Xander were arguing and then everything rhymed and there was dance. There was a dance with coconuts and Xander's like, it was very disturbing. So I do find it very funny that they all appeared to have their own musical numbers last night, like we just said, but they were acting today like it didn't happen. <laughs> you know, like they, like this morning, if Buffy hadn't brought it up, would they have ever said anything? Who knows? Um, but that's so like a musical because in a musical, the singing's normal right? That, that's just how you share your thoughts is through song. So Buffy is the vampire slayer. She has vampire senses. Remember when she was sensing something going on in Superstar and she was the first one to sense that something was off with Jonathan? And then they all gaslit her. Yeah. So I, I feel like it, it's the same idea here where she's like, I'm sensing <laughs> that that wasn't normal. So let's talk about it. That's a really interesting reading. I didn't see it that way, but I actually like that interpretation better mine was just they all thought it was weird but none of them wanted to say anything <laughs> yeah i just i just figured there's like it's like a spell right that's over the whole town again and buffy's the one that breaks the ice and that also contributes to what i said earlier where musical episodes in some shows they come out of nowhere like they have no reason that's like oh it's a hallucination or maybe in the background like they're like oh the actor's really good at singing so we want to showcase them for some reason um fine but here it's very plot-driven, right? Clearly, it's happening to the town. It's happening to all the Scoobies. Um, and they're self-aware of it, right? Something else I want to note here. Anya says that her and Xander were arguing. Like, they've been arguing so much this season, you know? And I have more to say about that later when they have their own little scene. But um, it's just funny that she's like, again, we were arguing last night. So Giles says, what did you sing about? And Buffy says... I don't remember lies, but she says it. It seemed perfectly normal. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that is a lie, though. Like it's it's very inconsistent in this episode. Who hears what songs and what people remember? So she could be telling the truth. I I agree. It's possible she's lying, but it's also possible she's telling the truth. It, it that's fair. I I do think though the way that she's been lying to Giles this whole time. She doesn't want to tell him. Oh, I'm going through the motions, losing all my drive. 
I, nothing seems to penetrate my heart. Like who wants to, who wants to tell him that? You know, not me. Um, I'm so, sure Giles is appreciative that Buffy doesn't talk about penetration with him. Yes. Mm, uh, Xander asks if it will happen again. And Giles is like, okay, well, we can look into it. And Tara is wondering if we have any books on this. And Xander says, we just got to break it down. Look at the facts before it happens again. Because I, for one, and then boom, Giles starts singing. So we have this next song which is called i've got a theory slash bunnies slash if we're together and you'll notice here for the first half of the song where it's the scooby singing buffy leaves right buffy's not in mm-hmm. this part of the, the part of the song so basically what they're doing is they're coming up with theories as to what it could be which is typical scooby research right but giles hits the nail on the head the first go yes right i noticed that too literally the first three lines of the song i've got a theory that it's a demon a dancing demon, and then he dismisses it. It's like, yeah. Giles guesses it in one. Good job, Giles. Right? But I also really like Willow's guess, right? Like that it's it could be some kid dreaming and we're all stuck inside his wacky Broadway nightmare. <laughs> Call out to season one nightmares. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> by the way, wouldn't Billy be in high school by now? Shouldn't we check on him? Is he in Don's class? Uh, yeah, he probably, we'll probably see him later this season or maybe next season, right? Maybe he was part of one of those bad boy gangs, those white boy gangs we saw last episode. So yeah, so so what I like about this part of the song is that everyone is just aware. Everyone's like, this is getting eerie. What are we singing about? Why are we singing? <laughs> Xander says, I've got a theory we should work this out, which... Once again, Xander contributing nothing to the conversation. Thanks, Xander, really. I do really love his line about witches. Like, I think it's so funny. But but it's also foreshadowing. (laughs) So what he says is, there could be witches, some evil witches, which is ridiculous because witches, they were persecuted, wicked, good, and love the earth and women power. And I'll be over here. (laughs) Because obviously Tara and Willow don't like that. But um, Anya for one, launches off on her own into a rock show, like lights, air guitar, fireworks, smoke, like Emma Caulfield. I will say this is what I meant when I said at the beginning that there are some surprising talents in here. Emma Caulfield is one of them. She is so good. Like, is she like a, you know, classically trained singer? Probably not, but she pulls it off. She's so funny. She's so charismatic. And she's a great dancer. She commits. Yeah, Yeah. she commits. It was really, really well done. Um, Talent unlocked for this one. I'm charmed. I'm charmed. So she talks about how it could be bunnies. And they're just like, nah. Basically, they're like, okay, we got to figure this out quick. Because Anya just spun out. And like, like, we we don't know what's happening. And then suddenly, Buffy enters the song. She changes the tune entirely. And she launches into her typical leader speech, right? About coming together. How we can face this as one. And the thing is, in the middle of this part of the song, she says, why should we care? And Giles picks up on that. Right. But then the rest of the song is her saying, well, you know, what can't we do if we're together? What's in this place we can't weather? Like, I've died twice. Her mm-hmm. morbid humor made it into the song. The, the tone of the song is meant to be positive and uplifting and inspirational. But if you listen to the lyrics, they are tired. It's supposed to be inspirational, but the lyrics and, and Buffy's way of singing it undermines that inspirational moment. Yeah, and it's so cleverly done because, again, Giles is picking up on it. The other scubas are not. But basically, Buffy is continuing to do in this song what she's been doing since she got back in Afterlife, where she's saying what she thinks the Scoobies need to hear, 
right? This is this is the Buffy, the mm-hmm. version of Buffy that they are used to, that they wanted to bring back, and the one that's supporting everybody as a team. And she doesn't feel that. Like she already told us through song that that's not how she's feeling, but so she's faking it. She's faking it till she makes it, I guess. Also, this number has, you know, much less dynamic action than the first one. But I want to take a moment and just look at the blocking in this scene. Uh, it's really interesting. So for most of the song, Willow and Tara are very close together. And we see that throughout this episode. They start off, they're always in really close proximity. And then as events unfold, they get farther and farther apart physically in the scenes. Mm. Um, Also, obviously we talked about Anya's rock part. At the end of the song, when Buffy starts singing, Giles pulls away from the Scoobies. He physically gets up and he's going to go up the ladder. He's going off by himself. He's leaving. Buffy draws him back and he's reluctant. You can see it on his face as you pointed out, but he does come what back. What can't we face <laughs> if we're together? I'm not going to lie, Clara, when Giles was pulled back in and starts singing that little part of the song, I orgasmed. Like, <laughs> he has such oh a wonderful voice. Oh, my do, God. Do I, do I need to give you a moment here? <laughs> What can we face? I could listen to him sing all day long. Uh, when the song ends, right, Xander says, that was disturbing. And Willow says, I thought it was neat. And I agree with Willow. It is neat. And Once again, <laughs> Willow is like, magic consequences? What consequences? It's fine. Everything's fine. Also, we need to keep a weary eye on Xander this entire episode because of what we find out at the end of the episode. So when he's like, this is disturbing. What is this? What's going on? Shut the fuck up, Xander. And we'll find out why. <laughs> so Buffy wonders what's causing it. And Giles says, I thought it didn't matter. <laughs> he heard you, Buffy. He heard you loud and clear. And Buffy says, well, I'm not exactly quaking in my stylish yet affordable boots, but there's definitely something unnatural going on here. And that doesn't usually lead to hugs and puppies. And Anya wonders if it's happening to all of them, right? To, to to them or to anyone else. So Buffy looks outside this shop and there's a man out on the street <laughs> surrounded by a bunch of other people. And he is singing uh, that they got the mustard out because his he got his dry cleaning back and he's really excited about it. <laughs> and all the people around him are dancing. It's like a big musical number on the streets. Marty knocks in, is in the crowd here too. And the guy singing is David Fury. And these are the producers of Buffy. Adam Shankman, he's in this choreography as well, but he was the person that came in to do the choreography for the entire episode. And he's the director of Hairspray, the musical and Step Up. And he's a coach on So You Think You Can Dance or um, a judge on that show. So um, I recognized him as well. I was like, oh, ho, ho, Adam. Cool. I got nothing else. I don't like this song. Move on. Uh, Buffy says <laughs> it's not just us. So um, Card is, is not a fan of the mustard joke. We cut to later that day. It's I'm assuming it's 3 p.m. because Dawn's home from school. Who knows what time it is? Right? What is time? She runs inside and she's like, oh, my God, you will never believe what happened at school today. And the Scoobies are all gathered around the table and no one even looks up at her. Right? Buffy just says everybody started singing and dancing. And Dawn says, I gave birth to a pterodactyl. <laughs> And Anya is the funniest. She turns around and she says, oh, my God, did it sing? (laughs) (laughs) That's legitimately a hilarious line. And the delivery is perfect. I love it. (laughs) Thousand percent. 
um, top grades, Anya. So Anya says, uh, so Willow and Tara are whispering to each other, right? And Don tells them that they sang about math. And again, Kara, just like we missed out on uh, Giles's hotel musical number, we missed out on Don singing about math at school. As a math teacher, let me tell you, Steph, uh, I understand what you're saying, but generally speaking, if it's the teacher singing about math, you don't want to be there for that. <laughs> teacher math raps, not a good look. If it's the students, could be a lot better. And yeah, maybe we missed out. Oh, I wish we could see it because that's my high school musical and Buffy crossover dreams tarnished because I can't watch it. Tara and Willow make up a lie and they have to go home and get texts and consult. Um, it's a lie. It's lies. Yeah, I, I, I got to say, though, I don't think I fully understood why they were whispering to each other in this scene until this watch of this episode. <laughs> it just went they're way like, over my head. You want to go home and fuck? And they're like, yeah, let's go. Oh, we got to get some texts. The penny just dropped for me. <laughs> well, there you go. But before they go, we see Don wipe a necklace from the Klepto counter. Don. Oh, Don, what you doing, Donifer? So we cut to Rugsfield. <laughs> Rugsfield at 3 p.m. is a beautiful, beautiful place to be. <laughs> Riley was right. We need to stop making fun of him immediately because it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Tara and Willow are dressed again like fairy tale princesses and they're they're admitting that they're they're playing hooky, right? And Willow says the sun is shining, there are songs going on. And again, I can't agree more. Honestly, if if there was a musical spell happening in my town, I'd be out there seeking out all the songs I could. So two Mitches are walking by and they're checking Tara out, says Willow. And she says, "What what are they looking at? And what Willow says, the hotness of you, doofus. And I was like, listen, listen, okay? Tara's a beautiful woman. She's stunning. But they're probably looking at her because she's wearing a princess costume. <laughs> and Halloween was last week. It is quite a distinctive garment. Um, so what I want to know is, like, how does Willow know that they're checking out Tara and not her or both of them? Like, is this... And and they keep looking back at them. Like, is this really how straight guys behave? Well, so, yeah. I, that's what... It, it, the leering of it is, is quite strange. <laughs> that's why I honestly think it's because she's wearing a costume. It's, it's like, maybe they think she's hot, but that's secondary to the fact that, like, why is this chick at Rugs Field wearing a Sleeping Beauty outfit? <laughs> you know? Pledge week. It's pledge week. The week after Halloween, everyone knows that you wear your... Oh, maybe they think she's a LARPer. She's one of the LARPers. <laughs> and they're like, oh, you missed it by about <laughs> half a year. <laughs> Can you point me in the direction of the horsies? <laughs> the festival was six months ago. You missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Better luck next year. Okay. Um, Tara says, they think I'm hot. Oh my God, I'm cured. I want the boys. And I thought it was really funny. That was a cute joke. Willow grabs her and says, do I have to fight to keep you? I'm not large with the butch, is what she says. So, okay. So this is almost line for line what Willow said in last week's episode, right? Where she's like, I have to try to turn you on, right? Like Willow is really insecure. Yeah, and we know that because she's already cast a spell on Tara, <laughs> right? Like, ooh, so this is something that we can't forget as we're watching the rest of the scene that Tara is literally under Willow's spell. So um, Tara says, I'm not used to that. Were they really looking at me? And Willow says, you can't imagine what they see in you. Tara says, I know exactly what they see in me. 
you. And she launches into a song and Tara has the voice of an angel. She's got the voice of a songbird. And this song is called Under Your Spell. You know what, Cara, I'll I'll admit, this was always my least favorite song in the episode growing up. It, it was my least favorite song when I was younger because of the weird fairy tale outfits they were wearing. <laughs> I thought it was just strange. I didn't like it. Um, but yeah, Amber Benson has one of the best voices in this episode. Like she clearly knows what she's doing. And I, I think the song, how do I put this? Like it's not my favorite song, but the combination of her performance and the visuals and the lyrics all together, I think this song comes together perhaps the best out of all the songs i feel that it's also probably the best song that you could like take elsewhere <laughs> you know like you could take this out of this context and sing it i don't know if it's a runaway pop hit as anya would say but it's it's not directly referencing the episode right now what i will say i think the reason why i didn't like it before is because i didn't i didn't really think too much about tara and i think i said that when we first met her in season four um she was just kind of like was there for me but because this rewatch i'm paying way closer attention to her and i actually adore her now i'm really feeling the song and i'm feeling what she's saying in the song and there's two sides to the song one is really lovely and one is really sad and the part that i love about it is that tara is talking about her evolution of how she feels confident and beautiful and loved and she starts off with saying you know i lived my life in shadow never the sun on my face it didn't seem so sad because she knew her place. And we remember when we met her with her family, right? Her family kept her in the dark. They kept her feeling mousy and small. And it's her love for Willow that's helped her blossom and and find confidence and family and, and a more worthy life. And that's such a wonderful way to describe love and describe her love for Willow, you know? Yes. Tara's reminding of the audience that her family lied to her and manipulated and manipulated her. Uh, it's so great that this is not happening to her anymore. <laughs> well, that's the sad part of it, right? So w- Tara on her own, who doesn't know that she's under a spell right now, and she's just feeling her love for Willow, I think it's a beautiful sentiment. And the thing is, I think Tara would have felt this way had Willow just left her the fuck alone, you know? And also had Willow come to her senses and heard what she was saying about magic, Tara would feel this way no matter what. But that's the sad aspect here is that she's literally under Willow's spell. And there's something that she says, there's one lyric um, where she says, you worked your charm so well. Finally, I knew everything I dreamed was true. You made me believe. And that's like, it's almost like subconsciously, she also knows that she's under a spell. Like she doesn't, but like the, the lyrics are pointing us to the fact that she is in an enchantment right now. Yeah, the and, and it's messing with her her mind and Mm -hmm. herself right like willow's willow's manipulation of tara's memory is literally altering who tara is as a person and that's tara sensing that right she's saying you know you took my soul with you right and it's going to destroy her which we we hear in her reprise later on i really there's a rhyme in here i really like uh when she rhymes shown with known because I pronounce that word, S-H-O-N-E. I pronounce it the British way, which is Sean. <laughs> so to me, those words do not rhyme. Kara, stop thinking you're fancier than me, okay? <laughs> I'm sick of it. Uh, <laughs> so so as Tara's singing this song, they're walking through Rugs Field, and random girls are her backup dancers in it. They're, they, her and Willow are shooting sparkles everywhere. And at one point, they do a twirly twirl, and it goes from Rugs Field into their bedroom. And I was like, 
Now, was that just a musical transition or did that actually happen like with their magic? Great question. I think it was just the magic of the musical. I love it. I love that because, you know, in a musical um, on stage, sometimes you're so wrapped up in a person singing that you don't even realize that the the stage has changed. (laughs) You're like, whoa, all of a sudden I'm in a different area. The magic of theater. So Willow is giving Tara sex eyes. And Tara lays back on the bed and Willow is briefly shown on top of her before she goes out of camera. <gasps> and then Tara starts floating as she sings, you make me complete. You make me complete. Even, even I, an asexual, when I hear the line, I could feel you inside. Even I understood that this part of the song is a metaphor for sex. You mean that she was lost in ecstasy spread beneath her willow tree? <laughs> You're like, oh, they're going down on each other. <laughs> Message received. <laughs> Okay, well, Kara, we're not on the WB anymore, okay? We're on the UPN. There are no more glowy O's for us. There's going to be literal love scenes between these two women, and it is this is something. This is a much better sex scene than any other I, I would see on this show, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm here for it. Do you notice, though, in this episode that everybody, all the characters, they get a song, right? They get to express their secrets or their love or their feelings and they get development within the plot of the show except for willow like willow is the only one who doesn't get that because allison hannigan did not want to say if they had it would have been a sick villain song i think but also i think about it as willow's character where like willow doesn't really have any secrets at the moment besides the fact that she's spelling her girlfriend uh but she's not ashamed of that Like, that's not something that she feels guilty about. So it's not something that she needs to reveal through song. You know, she's not emotional about it. And that's really chilling and dark when I think about it. Yeah. So we cut to Xander (laughs) immediately, like, interrupts the end of the song. And he's saying, I bet they're not even working. (laughs) To which I say, shut up, Xander. (laughs) Who cares? He says, you see the way they were looking at each other? The get a roominess? I bet they're... And then he remembers that Don's in the room and says, singing. I I bet they're singing right now. Which, again, Xander, you were already pervy about the lesbian love stuff last season. And season four, I think, is like, Xander, like, go away. Xander, remember in season four where you and Anya were just, like, doing it all the time? And, like, you'd, like, take off in the middle of Scooby beatings to go do it? Like, shut up. Um, So then Giles says, I'm sure Willow and Tara are making every effort. (laughs) And Xander says, oh, yeah. But before he can continue, Buffy warns him. And Don's like, Buffy, it's okay. I do know about this stuff. And they all stare at her because they're like, you're not allowed to know about this. You're not allowed to be a teenager. You're 15. Buffy didn't know about that. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, wait a second. Okay, but she would know because she's lived with Tara and Willow, right? She's lived with them for like half a year. Probably heard them. <laughs> you make me complete. <laughs> this is not special to the musical. They do that all the time. <laughs> then Don says, it's kind of romantic. And Buffy and Xander simultaneously say, no, it's not. And Don says, songs, dancing around. What's going to be wrong with that? Oh, oh, Donna Summers. <laughs> Donna Summers. <sighs> you should know better. Than to ask that question. Donald Sutherland, 
take that back because you're the reason we're now watching a man tap dance himself to death. Um, we cut to this alleyway and this tap dancer is literally dancing till he burns up and then it's just a burnt corpse and what looks to be Satan is watching this happen and he says, that's entertainment. <laughs> just a quick thought on tap dancing. It is hilarious to look at. I, I actually really love tap dancing. Like, you, you, hey, if you, if someone came into my house right now and was like, I'm going to go tap dance, I'd be like, let's see it. But in general, it can look really silly sometimes. I'm surprised that you didn't do tap dancing because you did figure skating, right? Yeah, no, dancing is a completely different art. No, tap dancing is not like land figure skating. <laughs> it's, I mean, believe it or not, it's not very similar at all. <laughs> But we, I mean, for skating training, yeah, you do skate, you do like ballet and stuff. But um, <laughs> I just find it's like, blah, blah. Like whenever they do dance, dance, I think it's just. It's the I, arms, yeah. I can't do it. I'm just jealous. I'm just jealous. I'm just jealous. So we open up on Xander and uh, Xander's apartment. Anya and Xander are in bed together. And Xander's going to make Anya breakfast because he shut his construction crew down for the day. Not because they're sexist assholes, Kara. But because they were dancing around, he says. And he says it's a flab thing, and I don't know what that means. So Xander prattles on about omelets, and Anya ignores him and starts singing her own song. <laughs> and Kara, this song has always been in my top three songs of the episode. I, I adore it. I think it's so charming. I love the 50s retro vibes of it. I love the costumes. I love the set. I love the dance number. It reminds me a lot of the Good Morning uh, scene from Singing in the Rain, which is like my favorite musical. And I think a lot of people would compare this to Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, like their kind of dynamic in those olden movies. I, I agree with you. I love the vibe of the song. Um, the song itself doesn't do much for me. I find the lyrics just fairly unremarkable. But what I will say is Emma Caulfield and Nicholas Brandon, wow, like remarkable duet performance. They clearly worked really closely together to get all the timing down. As we watch the song, Emma is dancing in heels, mm -hmm. big fluffy. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck those slipper heel fluffy things are, but she's dancing in them and it's very impressive. Oh my God. I love it. I love her little pajama, like vintage pajama look. Oh, and her hair is perfect. It's like 50s glam. God. And you know what? I don't like to talk too much about Nicholas Brendan, <laughs> but... Yet you could tell he worked really hard, right? And he's not a natural singer or dancer. It's very obvious. But he 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 did what he had to do. And it worked out really well. So well done all around. I, I'm, again, I'm charmed. I'm just, I'm charmed. So their song is called I'll Never Tell. And they're basically both sharing their fears. By the end of the song, they've both shared fears around their upcoming marriage about their relationship about growing old together about all these things right and they're they're taking shots at each other right they're taking shots they're <laughs> taking great. turns at one point <laughs> yeah anya interrupts saying his eyes are beating he's like that's my line hello <laughs> um and then she breaks out into the dance number and yeah like like part of it i think is meant to show us this is almost like foreshadowing it's like a glimpse into this is what their lives will be like if they do get married yeah and it's a lovely scene too because um we get the humor, right, of them, yeah, throwing jabs at each other. And then we get the honesty from both of them that they're, I think Xander's been more or less honest about what he's feeling, even though he's very frustrating about how he's sharing it. But Anya hasn't shared too much of what she's afraid of, and she does in this song. Right. So the, the scene takes us from their bedroom to the living room to the kitchen. Like, they're all over 
Xander's apartment. Now we know why he got the apartment. It was so they could have this giant scene. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Also, the way it's filmed, um, there's all, basically almost the entire number is filmed with a wide lens. Mm -hmm. So it makes the room look really big and it's not so much the close-ups on them. And there's a couple of crane shots in it. So you can kind of like see down and the, the combination of angles and the lighting makes it look more artificial. It looks more like a stage set, more like a, you know, a, a sitcom set than it, it looks in other episodes. Yeah. And you can tell that it's, it's a dance number mm -hmm. when you are filming a musical you don't do it in sections you might you film it over and over and over again and then you pick the sections you want to show but the dance number itself goes on for you know let's say five to ten minutes right and you just do it over and over again so clearly uh nicholas and emma had this entire song and dance routine down right and that's why they could put the cameras in various angles and catch them doing it so i do want to say there's one line from xander that i don't like okay when he says her toes are kind of hairy. <laughs> okay. Uh, newsflash, Xander. Women have body hair. And yeah, sometimes we have hairy toes. Deal with it instead of body shaming us. Shut up, Xander. <laughs> Shut up, Xander. At one point, Xander holds up a Sunnydale press paper. And the headline is, Mayhem Caused. Monsters Certainly Not Involved, officials say. <laughs> and then I also saw that the headlines on this newspaper are, Investigation Turns Down heat as teen vandals are suspected targets and i was like oh those white boy gangs just tearing it up they still have their own special section in the paper Cara. <laughs> we talked about this in season white three boy gangs on pcp <laughs> and then the other headline is new technologies being integrated to police tracking facilities against criminals and mayor approves fingerprint computers and i was like oh so there's a new mayor in town that we don't ever get to meet. I wonder who it is. I don't know. Is it Mark the message board guy? <laughs> yeah, at this point, he's worked his way up finally. He was waiting for his in. <laughs> so they both end up breaking into dance, right? Like, again, the partner duet dance, I love. I think it's so cute. Uh, the music, like, oh, oh. Mwah, mwah, mwah. chef's kiss they're they're all over the furniture they're all over the set right like they're crawling on the table then at the end they end the number falling onto a chair and laughing together which is so sweet okay okay so yeah like we said they're talking about what they're worried about what their fears are and this might be an unpopular opinion Kara, but when can we start calling out anya for blatantly ignoring xander's red flags about this wedding right now you could go now start now i'm doing go. it i'm doing it because guess what anya xander's now been saying since the beginning of the season that he's not comfortable sharing with his friends and then he told you two episodes ago that this is a big deal to him it's all too fast like he's telling you these things and you're not hearing him. And that's not making you a very good partner, in my opinion. I think a lot of times people and the show cuts Anya slack and they infantilize her because she's new to being human. But she's not that new anymore, you know? So I just feel like Anya needs to start hearing what Xander's saying and get out of her own way about wanting to get married to him. Then maybe she would know that he's not ready. And then she could start the conversation maybe we need to put a step back or just be engaged for a long time have a long engagement yeah you know? but anya has only been human again for like two and a half years at this point so 
She has just about as much emotional maturity as Xander does. That's why they're perfect for each other. I don't, but again, I, I swore I would never do this, but I'm doing it now. I'm bringing the age gap conversation back into the Prophecy Girls podcast. I swore I would never talk about it again, but here it is. Because Anya is a thousand years old. She's a thousand years old. Yes, she's new to being a human. She's new to human emotions. But she should know better. She should know better than nothing. So I think the fact that she is ignoring Xander's fears that he is blatantly telling her in this episode, that's on her if something comes, if something bad happens later on. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, if, when you live together and you start a life together, you 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 need to have these conversations. <laughs> I'm dying over here because clearly this has struck a nerve for you. <laughs> because, you know what? It's just not, it's, oh, I don't want to defend Xander because he's been a douche up until now. But it's true. It's true. Okay, Anya, a lo- this song, you have no excuse. You and him sang together in this song. Xander says his lyric is, here's his lyric. He says, that's why I'll never tell her that I'm petrified. Right? And then they both say, there's fears that I can't quell. Xander says, will our lives become too stressful if I'm never that successful? Am I crazy? Am I marrying a demon? These are things that they're both saying. If only they could go to couples therapy. Well, I'm just, I just wanted to put it out there. I love Anya, but I got to give her a little slap on the head. No, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I'm not, I'm not laughing because I disagree. I'm just <laughs> laughing because I, I didn't expect my, it to come up as strongly from me right now. I, I have to talk about this right now because... Uh, because oh. i don't know people we like to cut on your slack also because a lot of people see her as neurodivergent and like i get that i do but one angle we can look at that is that anya is being a selfish ex-demon and she wants this wedding to go through even though she has legit concerns herself the fact that she has been doing vengeance for a thousand years she knows how these things turn out that's a legit fear right so <sighs> anyway Let's cut to Anya, Xander, and Giles walking down the street. And this is how we know that they heard each other in the song because they call each other out while they're arguing. They're like, you know, my eyes are not beauty. Like they, they say it to each other. So no excuse, Anya, no excuse. As Xander, Anya, and Giles are walking down a street, a street that we've never seen in Sunnydale before. Like all of a sudden there's a different street. <laughs> all of a sudden it's That's not. the other side of the street that we normally see. <laughs> it's the other angle from the coffee shop. <laughs> Um, so as they're walking, they're talking over each other again, you know? And again, I find that so interesting in this episode that they do a lot of that. I love Anya's dress in this scene and for the rest of the episode. It's just a cute little gray number. I like it. Yeah, she looks great. Always looks great. This season only. (laughs) So, um, Giles says that he's looking into leads, right? And Anya's complaining that their number was a retro pastiche that's never going to be a breakaway pop hit. (laughs) You know, for somebody who's only been human for a couple of years now, she sure knows a lot about the music business. And my question is, did she research the music business before she got into retail? Like, was that maybe her first career choice? Or did she just get a lot of vengeance calls from, like, scorned female musicians? (laughs) I love that idea, actually. Alanis Morissette, 100% hired her <laughs> she had Anya on speed dial yeah. she's just like i want you to know okay by the way i love alanis morissette she's canadian as well <laughs> yeah so giles tells them that some disturbing things have happened and 
instead of hearing what he's saying at this point, we see Marty Noxon, who is singing about getting a parking ticket from an officer. <laughs> and we completely focus on her song first. And then we cut back to Giles and Xander and Anya. So Scoobies are acting like they didn't notice this parking meter song, right? And um, someone was set on fire and burnt up, as we saw as the audience. And Xander says, that's nuts. And I was like, is it Xander? Is it nuts? And again, we'll talk about this at the end of the episode. Anya says, I don't know, one more verse of our little ditty and I would have been looking for a gas can. <laughs> so clearly Anya doesn't like vintage music. Anya wants a Kelly Clarkson pop hit. She wants a Rihanna kind of song, you know. They pass a couple dancing nicely together. All the single ladies, if you will. Oh, yeah, perfect. Some B. So so they're passing a couple dancing on the street. And then at one point while they're having the conversation, they pass three street sleepers, which is so like classic musical. And they're doing a little dance number to a peppy little tune in the background. And I bet, Kara, I'll bet all the gold in my vault at Gringotts that those three dancers are the same people from going through the motions from, from the graveyard scene earlier. That, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. You could be right. Because often in musicals, you're using your dancers for everything, right? So they're probably also the the dummies later, right? The the minions. Yeah. Giles is telling them that people spontaneously combusted and he went to examine the body while the police were taking witness areas. <laughs> once again. Arias. Arias. So once again, Giles, j- just like when he was a librarian, he would just walk on to like murder scenes. <laughs> to check out the body or to look at like evidence they let him do it at least it's better than the unaired pilot where buffy asks for permission (laughs) to see the body because it would make her feel better yeah and he's like okay (laughs) so um he says buffy's looking for leads at local demon haunts haunts um in theory she is but she doesn't seem to dot dot and xander says she's easing back into it we pulled her out of an untold hell dimension ergo the weirdness the important thing is to be there for her and giles says i'm helping her as much as i can but and anya pats his shirt i i like to think i have no basis for this but i like to think that the anya patting his shoulder was um improvisation on emma caulfield's part because yeah you notice in the background the street sweepers as Giles is trailing off, are still finishing their dance routine, right? So I feel like they had to wait for the routine to finish before the scene could, the director could call cut. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that was just a little way of extending the scene that Ooh, couple of extra seconds. Very astute also, of you. Also, so there's a couple of things in this scene that remind us that this musical issue is Sunnydale wide, right? We have the, the reference to Giles uh, sneaking around the witness arias that the police are taking um can we pause for a moment can we brainstorm like what else is going on in sunnydale like what are the trio singing about in this episode (laughs) stuff uh they're probably singing about star wars (laughs) you know like they're they're singing about like a, a video game that they're playing right now like obviously they're off doing some evil plotting their latest evil plan yeah maybe they have their own i want songs can you imagine Jonathan's I Want song. I just want to be loved. I want to be um, where the people are. <laughs> what about like those demons that we met last week uh, who were playing kitten poker? Yeah, where's Clem's song? Why aren't we getting a Clem overture? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I also like, I like, I like thinking about if this spread, right? Like, 
what if what if they did a musical episode on Angel? Like, I just love the concept. So, like, what would Angel sing Speaking about? Speaking of what voice would... of an angel, I mean, we know from Angel singing in the, at the karaoke, right? <laughs> Mandy. <laughs> uh, what would Cordelia sing about? Like, so many options, right? Mm. Okay, so here's, ooh, here's a big scene. Buffy is entering Spike's crypt as he comes up the ladder from his downstairs lair. And he says, sunsets and she appears. Come to serenade me. And Buffy says, oh, so you know what's going on. And he says, yeah, I, I've seen some damn funny things the last two days. A 600-pound Chirago demon making, like, Yuma Sumac. That will stay with you. I remain immune, happy to say. Drink? And Buffy's like, a world of no. <laughs> no, Buffy, drink. I love this line. <laughs> drink. And Buffy says, any idea what's causing this? And Spike says, oh, so that's all. You're just come here to pump me for information. And Buffy says, what else would I pump you for? Oh, I really just said that, didn't I? So Spike says, <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't want to bore you with the small talk. And he goes to the door and he holds it open and he says... Glad you could stop it, by. <laughs> it, it's so obvious that he's trying to get rid of her before he purses the song, and I love it. Yeah, he's like, please, please leave, please. And uh, Buffy just stares at him, and he's like, it's nothing, it's nothing. And she's like, what? And then he goes, I died. So he starts to sing. And car this is like my favorite joke in the entire episode because James Marsters, like, like Spike's face, when he starts to sing, he's like, oh god damn it like it's happening yeah. and i'm embarrassed and then he goes from embarrassment to frustration really quickly but like it's that it's that face he makes where he's like god yeah <laughs> and yeah, Buffy's like god and Buffy rolls her eyes too i also just want to say this because i know that we're hard on spike to many people's chagrin um i am seeing the chemistry here between sarah michelle geller and james marsters Damn it. Like, Damn it. the scene is badass. <laughs> yeah, I adore the song. Um, I'll, I'll say it, okay? I'll say it. If I were to ever find Spike attractive, if I were to ever get on board the Spike train, it would be this episode, all right? Because he does a great job singing this. I actually really like Spike in this episode. You'd pump him? I uh, no, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, I would, I would let him wine and dine me. <laughs> but um, because I'm having a great time in this episode, because it's a great song, and and James does a really great job performing it, the reason I won't go as far to say that I'm attracted to Spike in this episode is because Giles is in the episode and he takes all the attraction. Thank God. He outshines him in every single way. So if Giles wasn't in the episode, who could say what could happen? Who I don't want to think about such a terrible alternative reality. But um, I'll also admit, Kara, like, I understand the appeal to Spike when you watch this episode and the appeal of toxic singers in general. I, too, have known the love of a toxic singer. Like, I, I think that Justin Bieber is a greasy little ferret. <laughs> you were in love with Justin Bieber? Yeah, but when when that little mongoose, when that little Canadian goose opens his mouth, god damn it, do I melt, okay? And I will go to his concerts. I will listen to all his music. I love that guy when he sings. So I can understand the spike appeal here. Where does Nickelback fit into this? Maybe I'm... Maybe my Canadian roots really show when it comes to my preferences in music. <laughs> Alanis Morissette, Justin Bieber, Nickelback, they're all there. <laughs> all the greats. <laughs> um, it also doesn't help that Justin Bieber like looks like a small town Canadian skater boy. <laughs> I mean, which 
which is what the only thing that a girl like me growing up in Thunder Bay could look at. That's all there was. So like, it just appeals to me in a weird way. Anyway, not enough about me. Rest in Peace is the name of the song. And it's essentially Spike complaining. <laughs> it's a soft rock ballad. Yes, it is. It is. And he's, he's basically um, calling Buffy out for the fact that, well, he, what he believes is in her loneliness and isolation, she keeps coming to him for comfort, but she's not giving herself in all the way. Yeah, she's she's using yeah. his unrequited love. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to ask you what, what you think of this charge of Spike's, because I'm like, I don't buy it. Spike, you're a mature adult. You could leave Sunnydale. <laughs> yeah. And I, I also think that he's gaslighting her a bit in the song because he, yes. he's, he's playing on her loneliness, right? And, he, and he's trying to make it seem like, again, you are into me, Buffy. You really want to be with me and you're not letting yourself. And this takes me back to Crush in season five when you were and I were like, no, Spike, she doesn't. Well, and, and he says, I know I should go. So he knows that he should move away. But I follow you like a man possessed. My dude, it is not Buffy's job to impose boundaries on you, right? Like, mm. it's not her fault that she is... Like, I'm willing to criticize Buffy for a lot of things, but it's not her fault that she's coming to you for something and you're giving it to her. And then you're complaining that she doesn't want more than that from you. Like, she's been very clear up until this point what she wants from you and you've just been giving in. And it's not her job to be like, well, no, Spike, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, too, is like, so he just like in Crush, remember, like he he pours himself out um, to her and she rejects him so he gets frustrated and violent and he does this in the song too which mm -hmm. is which is consistent with this character so at one point he gets up and he smashes the alcohol bottle that he's holding buffy gets up an alarm right and he stalks toward her and she tries to leave he doesn't let her and at one point he gets down on his knees and he's he's leering at her body he's basically saying you know don't come here unless you're gonna bang me like just <laughs> you know and um and again, again, everybody, the song's a bop, okay? I love the song. But as they're walking through the cemetery, um, they stumble onto a night funeral. <laughs> Classic Sunnydale nighttime funeral. <laughs> I mean, like, there must be so many funerals that they have to have them at night too. Like, I don't know. Um, but Spike jumps up on a coffin and he disrupts the funeral. He falls off it. And it's the weirdest transformation. He turns into a vampire, uh, like his van face. But it's like the transformation is very strange to look at. And um, he then throws a bunch of chairs around. And he attacks the priest and him and Buffy tumble into an open grave. And um, he finishes his song and Buffy gets off him and runs away. And as she runs away, he says, so you're not staying then, <laughs> right? So again, Spike is complaining that Buffy is leading him on. What I will say for Spike, and we've said this before, he is the most observant character in the show at this point most observant or just most honest about what he sees fair enough yeah because he's enough. got nothing to lose <laughs> so for me what's what stood out here was when he says the line you just love to play the thought that you might misbehave i do think there's truth in this i do think that like as much as i do think he's gaslighting her in a lot of ways this particular line stood out to me as true because he's saying that buffy is contemplating towing the line right and maybe giving in to some sort of sexual feeling she might have for spike and i think there's evidence there to back that up because in 
all the way Buffy is the one that thought Spike was coming on to her in the basement of the magic box she's the one that was like you want to rough and tumble like what and she's the one who brain went there first Spike's wasn't yeah that's a good point and then also earlier in this episode right where he's like uh, pump for information and she's the one that was like pump for information right like so she's the one that is taking it to that level so I don't think he's wrong as much as I'm like ugh he's probably right about that and he knows that she's seeking solace from him but she's stopping herself short from going all the way and i think that is true at this point it wasn't definitely not in season five but the last two episodes i could i could believe that she's toying with the idea that one way to fill the void or one way to maybe feel alive again is to blink someone i don't know i think there's truth in that but yeah overall Really good song, mm-hmm. really good character development for both of them. And uh, like you said, Car, you felt the chemistry. Like it is there. Something is building between the two of them at this point. Mm. Cut to Don and Tara back at the Summers residence. Uh, Tara says, a lot of homework. And Don says, math. It seemed cooler when we were singing about it. Tara says, well, you know, they have a whole a lead on the whole musical extravaganza evil. Um, and I just want to point out here, Tara's giving big mom energy in this scene. Mm-hmm. I really like it. Mm-hmm. But that also made me sad because then I started thinking about like, what if this musical episode had happened when Joyce was alive? And then what would Joyce have sung about? And then I got really sad. Aww. <sighs> Joyce would have <laughs> sang. About how much she loved weed. <laughs> yeah, she, I was saying she would have sang Afromance because um, I got high. Uh, so Tara's telling Don, this demon that can be summoned some sort of a lord of the dance. And then she stops and she says, but not the scary one. <laughs> Just the de- Rude. <laughs> Which I, I thought that was such a fun, fun little uh, joke. Yeah. A joke, if you will. Um, and Don says, oh, do they know who summoned it? And Tara says, they don't even know his name yet, but Willow will find out. She's the brainy type. Keep it in your pants, Tara. Keep it in your pants. God. Don says, I'm glad you guys made up. <laughs> Domper, no. Don't say these things. Oh, dear. Because Tara looks confused. She says, what? And Don says, that fight you had about magic and stuff? It gives me the belly rumblings when you guys fight. Tara's like, Don, Willow and I never. And Don says, it's okay. You guys are just so great together. But that was the only fight I've seen you guys have anyway. But I'm still glad it's over. Poor Don. Poor Domber is so needy in the scene. Don Bon Jovi really let it slide here, you know, and she doesn't even know what she did. Well, that's the thing. And, and so Tara's touching the flower that's pinned to her. You said it's a shirt. It's not a shirt. <laughs> I don't know what it is. A dress. <laughs> to her breast. It's pinned to her bodice. And she says, Don, there's something I need at the shop. Will you be okay for a little while? And Don says, yes. And she's all teenage offended. She's like, the 15-year-old can spend half an hour alone in her locked house. Can she? Tara says, she clearly can't. Yeah, can she, though? uh, Tara says, I won't be gone long, and she she exits the scene. I really, really like what's going on here, the way that Tara, like, quickly makes up an excuse for why she has to go, because she realizes that something incredibly bad is happening in her relationship, but of course she has to hide this from Don, who is a child, and that is a mood. Mm. Uh, so Don, Don finishes out the scene by going to the jewelry box on her desk. It's full of items that we know she has purloined from the magic box. Steph estimates the value of the jewelry in this box to be around or over $100. <laughs> yeah. With her ex- expert TV jewelry appraisal skills. 
Uh, so Dawn picks up the necklace that we saw her swipe earlier. Uh, she puts it on and she starts to sing. She only gets two lines out, though, before <laughs> there are demons who show up. They've got faces that look like ventriloquist dummies. Uh, and they throw it in her sack because that's what you do when you're kidnapping a teenager. <laughs> yeah, naturally. Um, I will say, so Dawn, her whole thing is that she is being ignored, that no one is noticing her, right? And it's so funny that she starts to sing about it and she gets cut off. <laughs> like Even the show is it's, like, And nah. it's a very whiny song, right? Yeah. It's called Dawn's Lament. And it's literally, does anybody even notice? Does anybody even care? <laughs> nope. Sacker. No. <laughs> like, here we go. <laughs> but but the, the reason is that Michelle Trachtenberg begged Joss Whedon not to sing in this. So he gives her the two lines. She has a couple of other lines here and there throughout the episode. But she did want to dance. So the next scene is Dawn's ballet. Yes, um, and Dawn wakes up with the bronze on a pool table, and I'm amazed that the bronze is closed on a Tuesday night. What's happening? Is it getting fumigated again? <laughs> no, I, no, it makes total sense. This is a public health measure. The bronze couldn't be open because it, that much music around, everybody would just be bursting into song. Like, everybody would spontaneously combust, so it has to close. I see, I see. Just, just for everyone's sake, right? So, yeah, so it, it's true. She tries to escape, and all the the dummies come and they all have this big dance and there's lots of flippy doos i'll just say it here and i'll probably get flack on this because i got flack on critiquing buffy's figure skating skills but god damn it dawn is not a dancer <laughs> and, but she um, is michelle Trachtenberg is a ballerina oh i oh, i mean and I, I i really like her dancing oh that's nice i don't um also because michelle Trachtenberg did ice princess <laughs> when she was terrible in that too um i don't like her hands I, I keep watching her arms and her hands and i just hate them but like she has the dancer's body and her legs do nice things and that, i'll give her that so she ends up falling on her feet to tap shoes that are on the stage and a demon is wearing a baggy red suit and as he starts tap dancing it he slowly dances into frame and when we can see his face he does look like satan <laughs> but i love the coat of his skin it's like sheen it's like it's like a nice red color um and he changes his clothes magically to blue at one point and this is hinton battle he's a three-time tony award winner he's a suave dancer and singer i love that they used him in this musical like this is a, a great villain a great demon he has a gem on his forehead that looks like the infinity stone <laughs> he looks like vision from marvel basically he sings a song that's called what you feel this demon's name is Sweet, and he tells Dawn that because she summoned him there, he says, when you gotta sing, when you gotta let it out, you call me and I come a running, I turn the music on, I bring the fun in. And that is the musical genre in a nutshell, right? Like, Wait, wait are, you, are you saying, Steph, that every musical is caused by a demon? I am. Are you saying musicals are demonic? <laughs> I'm saying it's a dancing demon. Well, no, something isn't right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, he's like, he's like, when you got to sing, you got to let it out, right? And that's what he does. So Dawn starts to dance with him at one point, and she asks him, um, oh, so you, you bring the fun in. You're a good demon. And he's like, nah, like people get too emotional, and they, they burst into flames, <laughs> basically. <laughs> the way he, he, like, he takes offense to that, she's like, she's so desperate for him to be good he's like what gave you that idea no you fool 
yeah. And um, he tells her that she's going to be his queen in hell. Um, and she he magically changes her outfit too. Like this guy is so good at costume changes. She's now wearing a pretty little dress, right? And um, he, they have this conversation where uh, she's like, I, ca- I can't be your queen because I'm 15, like in the song. And he's like ignoring her. <laughs> Once again, age cap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, it doesn't work. So she lets slip finally that she's the Slayer's sister. And he really loves that. Don, you need to stop bragging about that. Don, shut up. You need to stop telling all the bad guys (laughs) that your sister's the Slayer. I think that's her only defense, right? She's like, you can't hurt me. The element of surprise. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, I really like the dancing in this number, like you were saying. Um, Also, Sweet's gags are very, like, tv cartoony right the changing the color of his suit um at one point he peels his mouth off of his face for a moment there's a a fake like stage door that falls from the sky for him to do a gag with like he's like a cartoony guy i love it i'm obsessed i love it i love the song too it's like a jazzy like cool sophisticated kind of song which makes sense because he's a jazzy cool old ass demon and um it actually reminds me a lot of uh the room where it happened which is a number from hamilton but yeah so so when the song ends sweet tells his minions to go and find buffy he's like tell tell her everything just get her here i want to see the slayer burn (laughs) so we cut to buffy training with giles in the back room of the magic box. <laughs> Buffy is saying that she's worried that the whole session will turn into some montage from the from an 80s movie. And Giles is like, okay, well, if we hear any inspirational power chords, we'll just lie down until they go away. <laughs> so as they, they're um, talking more, Buffy makes another morose joke where she's like, I'm pretty spry for a corpse. Giles asks her if she's spoken to Dawn about the incident in Halloween. And Buffy's like, I thought you took care of that. And Giles is just like, Right. So (laughs) Buffy says, what would I do without you? And I was like, you would do a whole lot more, Buffy, if Giles wasn't there, (laughs) let's be honest. So Giles then starts singing. And this is an example of a song that he's singing out loud, but it's only to him. So Buffy does not notice. Buffy literally ends the scene with like, did you just say something? (laughs) So it's so interesting that like, sometimes the characters can hear what the other People are singing and sometimes they can't. No surprise, Tony Head has the pipes for this song, right? We have seen Daddy Giles sing in back in season four. He almost turned Tara and Willow straight again. <laughs> Understandable. Right? And it's he's got such a beautiful voice, honestly. And like this is an inner monologue. He's the song is called Standing, and it's like an acoustic guitar ballad, you know? It's so good. And but what he's singing about is that he wants to stand by Buffy. He wants to be her dad. He wants to take care of her. He wants to do everything for her because he loves her. The lyric that stood out to me was when he says, I, I want you to rest at last, right? But he's getting in the way of her growing and achieving and healing because he keeps taking on the burden for her, right? So while he's singing about this, Buffy is slow motion training in the background, um, dodging his knives and working the punch bag and doing lots of flippy doos. Well, she's, she's once more demonstrating her particular Slayer ability to move in slow-mo while everybody else is moving at normal speed. <laughs> so um, Giles says, the cries around you, you don't hear at all because you know I'm here to take the call. So you just lie there when you should be standing tall. 
Mm -hmm. Ooh, so that's good. So again, we'll see this in a little bit in the conversation that all the Scoobies have together, but this isn't new for Giles. Like Giles has been saying this for for seasons that Buffy needs to take the lead. I think this is the first time he explicitly likens himself to a father for her, Mm -hmm. right? He says, I wish I could play the father. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the show is not being subtle about hinting at his role as a father figure, but this is really the first time he says it. I love his gestures in this, like how he reaches out to the, the camera and then closes his fist and brings it back. And I love the the line that you pointed out. Uh, he says, I wish I could lay your arms down and let you rest at last. And there's that double meaning of arms, mm-hmm. right? He He literally wants her to to lay her arms down, but also arms could mean weapons. In this song, Giles is saying, "I it wasn't my idea to bring you back, Buffy. I would have <laughs> let you stay dead. Yeah. He's pissed at Willow. And he's like, I, w- I, I wanted you to rest at last. I, I wanted to slay your demons for you, and now you're here, you know? And, and it's such a wonderful window into what Giles is thinking. And we've suspected he's been thinking this for a while now. But um, I know in the episodes to come, People are going to have a lot to say about Giles, and I think a lot of the time people are upset that Giles doesn't want to help Buffy more than he does. But I think the song does a really good job of explaining Giles's thought process. He wants to help Buffy, and he has been. He gave her a check. He's taking care of Don. He, he's here to help clean a lot, up a lot of these messes, but he realizes that doing this is not going to help her in the long run. He's standing in the way of Buffy growing up on her own. And that's really powerful. So while he's singing this, Tara arrives at the magic box and she goes up to the private library and she opens up a magics with a K book. (gasps) And she finds... (laughs) And she finds the flower in the book that um, was pinned to her breast, as you said earlier. The flower, not the book. (laughs) And the the description says, Leith's Bramble. (laughs) Used for augmenting spells of forgetting and mind control ouch so of course tara's like i'm under your spell and she starts singing about it again uh but this is the reprise and god damn it kara i love a good reprise me too i adore a reprise and um a reprise of course is when the song usually the i want song is repeated later in the musical but under a different context uh usually a a sadder one what i really love here is how they've woven tara and giles's conclusion that both have come to that they have to leave for different reasons but they've woven those conclusions together such that they arrive at the same conclusion at the same point in the episode in the same place so that they can both sing about it in this reprise that is writing right there. And it's a gut punch, right? Especially on Tara's end, because saying, well, I'm and, under your spell, and now she's literally like, I'm literally under your spell. Yeah, she says, playing with my memory, you know I've been through hell. Willow, don't you see? There'll be nothing left of me. She's, as I said earlier, right? Like, she's saying, if you keep doing this, Willow, to fix our relationship, it won't be our relationship anymore because I won't exist. Like, it's fucking terrifying i don't mess with mind manipulation it's like my uh hard no for sci-fi fantasy stuff right it's like the moment a character does that i'm just like nope we're done also amber benson and tony head are the two best singers in this cast so for them together like this reprise 
I don't want to say it's my favorite song because it's not. You know, it, it, it's barely a song per se, but this reprise for me is such a powerful moment in this episode. And I think in a large part, it's because of the performance that the two of them put in. Oh, and it's so beautifully sung. You know, it's just a really beautiful tune. And um, at the end of the It's sad. Scene, oh, it's so sad. Like I said, it's a gut punch. It's like, oh. It's the most emotional moment f- for me because it's like, realizing that you have to leave well, to do what is best for yourself and they're saying the same thing right like wish i could yeah. stay they want it to be different yeah they can't make it different and oh and God. like tara even says like i wish that i could trust that it was just this once but i must do what i must right and it's like you tara doesn't even know like, who the fuck are you like I, you could have been putting spells on me this whole time maybe that's why she went along with the resurrection spell like we don't know oh that's dark well, I love at the end of the song, Tara and Giles are at the back of the store looking at Willow and Buffy talking to each other because Giles is saying, I wish I could stay to help Buffy, but I can't. Tara is saying, I wish I could stay with Willow, but she broke my trust and I can't. Ooh, it's powerful. So Spike enters the shop with the sweet minion and says, looky what I found. And Tara's like, is this the demon guy? And Will's like, oh, Tara, because she didn't know she was there. And Tara gives her the coldest frosty shoulder. And Willow looks confused by that. It's like, you shouldn't look confused, Willow. She saw your magics book. (laughs) So Spike says, has a nice little story for the Slayer, don't you? Come on, then. And he kicks the minion forward. He says, sing. And it's like, and it's like he's about to sing. But then he's just like, my master has a Slayer sister hostage at the bronze. <laughs> I love how he's just giving total exposition. He's yeah. just like, eh. no song. I would have loved if he, no one is so funny if they hired like Josh Groban or like some amazing singer to just do this one line because she summoned him at midnight and at, and at midnight he's going to take her to the underworld to be his queen <laughs> so great G- bye child says what does he want and the minion points at buffy and says her and spike just says oh, well if that's all you're gonna say and then the minion overpowers spike and runs out the door and spike's just like so strong someday he'll be a real boy <laughs> so buffy says so dawn's in trouble must be tuesday then she wants to know what the plan is. Xander says, we mount up. Giles is like, no. Of course not. Giles doesn't care if they save Don. He's like, fine. D- who's Don? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, if only that teenager had, that teenage vampire had bitten her, all our problems would have been solved. So Anya says, <laughs> Anya's thinking what we're thinking. Anya says, Don may have had the wrong idea in summoning this creature, but I've seen some of those underworld child bride deals and they never end well. Well, Maybe once. <laughs> so Willow says, we're not just going to stay here. And Giles is like, yes, we are. Buffy's going alone. And Spike calls him a stupid git. And Giles is like, if I wanted your opinion, Spike, I- I'll never want your opinion. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so Willow says, a little confusion spell could. And Tara's like, no, because now she's triggered by everything Willow does. And she says, I don't think it'll help. And Willow is so confused by that. And Spike says, forget them, Slayer. I've got your back. Great. <laughs> and Spike and Buffy says, I thought you wanted me to stay away from you. Isn't that what you sang? And so she heard Spike. <laughs> so she did hear him. And Xander says, Spike sang a little song. <laughs> And Anya asks if it was a breakaway pop hit or more of a book number. <laughs> and Xander's like, let it go, Anya. So Spike says, fine, I hope you dance until you burn, you and the little bit. And he has a right tantrum and storms out. So 
Buffy stares at the Scoobies and she's like, you're really not coming? And Giles says, it's up to you, Buffy. And Buffy's like, well, what do you expect me to do? And he's like, you're best. Okay. (laughs) Giles. Whoa, Giles. You silly British man. What the fuck do you think you're doing right now? You know you're not going to stick to this resolution, right? Like, this is not... I agree with you on principle. I agree that you need to push Buffy to be more independent of you. This is not the way to do it, my man, because you know that you're going to cave and give in five minutes from now. (laughs) It's a foregone conclusion. This is not the moment to cut Buffy off from your assistance cold turkey. It has to be gradual. You have to have a conversation with her. What are you doing? Oh, Giles, you sexy plate of bangers and mash. What the th- what Giles needs to understand is that he does this all the time. Remember in The Freshman, he was like, Buffy, you're in college now. Like, good luck out there. And then literally at the end of the episode, he's like, I'm here. So he does yes. that this often. He's always doing this. And um, this is no different because he does the same thing at the end of this episode. So... As much as I said, hearing Giles explain why he feels like he's in the way, why he might want to leave, um, I think it's justified in, in the song that he sang and how he explained it. But I also think that, you know what, it's still too soon. Like, Buffy is still new to this world. And I feel like refusing her help in this situation is not the best choice. Not only because he's going to backtrack on it immediately, but because it's just like, it's like, okay, but Buffy's earned help. And if Buffy wants help, she should get help because she's been doing this for years and years and years. She's fucking tired. The Scoobies are more than capable to back her up. They have been for years. Let them help, right? Just let them help. Like, what the hell? Agreed. (laughs) So we cut to the white boy gangs and their girlfriends dancing in the alleyways by garbage fires. Are these left over from the Hellions? (laughs) Like, what is going on? Yeah, so Buffy staring into the fire. The garbage fire. And it reminds me of Bargaining Part 2, yeah. where she's staring into the fire, right? And she starts singing. She's like, I touch the fire, and it freezes me, which, Buffy, you should not touch the fire. Don't touch it. Don't <laughs> touch it. Bad. Yeah, fire bad, tree pretty. <laughs> but that, what she's saying, Kara, what, the, what she's saying is that she misses the fire within her, her passion, right? Her lust for life. It's gone. So during the song, it's, it's called Walk Through the Fire, and... Buffy is talking about, yeah, how she feels alone. Her, she used to feel stuff. She, her skin used to crack and peel, but it doesn't anymore, and she wants it back. And then we cut to Dawn, who's um, next to Sweet, waiting for Buffy to come save her. We cut to, at one point, Spike, who is sulking in the alleyway, and he's doing his whole, like, just like Giles, he changes his mind real quick. He's like, I'm not going to help her. Hope she dies. I better, I better go help her. <laughs> right? So yeah. that's in there. Very, yeah, very interesting parallels. Um I know I'm being basic, Steph. This is my favorite song in the the episode. What a basic bitch you are. (laughs) For good reason. It's it's a great song. It's really good. Well, the English teacher in me loves this song. It's so full of paradox and oxymoron and other rhetorical devices. Uh, There's pathetic fallacy in this scene. I love it so much. Like when she says, I touch the fire and it freezes me, right? That's a paradox. That doesn't actually happen. Um... Or she says, or maybe melt away, I guess it's all the same. And those lines are really encapsulating her indifference to being in this fight. She doesn't really care at this point if she wins or loses. She also says later, these endless days are finally ending in a blaze. And it's like... These endless days are finally ending in a blaze. That's my favorite line of the whole episode. Oh, wow. 
that's an example of oxymoron, right? And I, somebody on our Discord was like, I don't get it. I don't, you know, it's it's a silly line. But in my opinion, it's a really clever line because by using that device of oxymoron, what you're doing is you're highlighting the fact that Buffy feels like her life is endless, right? She has now died twice and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. What's it going to happen next? And, and, and we can talk about this in the next scene a bit more, I think, but I think that she does have, in season five, I said, no, no, Buffy doesn't have a death wish. I think she now has a death wish. Mm. Yeah, we could talk about that more. Giles, like we said, rethinks himself immediately. And he's like, let's go after Dawn. <laughs> so the Scoobies join the song. Buffy sings at one point. But why I froze, not one among them knows and never can be told. And it's like, well, Buffy, you're about to tell them. <laughs> and then Tara jumps in and I think it's so gorgeous. She's like, you know, like, what can't we face? And it's just like, oh, oh, oh. Um, I felt that in my soul, Kara. So they all sing together. Um, Sweet's in there too. And they're talking about how they're that we are caught in the fire, the point of no return. We'll walk through the fire and let it burn. So they're on their way to the final showdown. At one point when they're saying, let it burn, a bunch of fire trucks go past behind the Scoobies. And I was like, ooh. That is pathetic fallacy. Ooh, I love it. Also, shout out to Buffy's coat with the shoulder pads. OMG. SMG. Oh. Y'all look great. Costuming in this in this episode. Mwah. Love it. Uh, I'm having such a good time watching this episode. <laughs> so the song ends with Buffy kicking down the back door of the bronze and Sweet says, showtime. Commercial break. <laughs> Commercial break. Let's all get our, uh, refill our drinks and then come back. Sweet is saying, I love a good entrance. And Buffy says, how are you with death scenes? <laughs> okay. This is my second favorite line of the episode. For me... This represents a watershed moment in the entire series. I'm not kidding. Mm -hmm. This line is the moment that Buffy goes from being a young adult to being truly into adulthood. And you can see it in how Sarah Michelle Gellar is portraying Buffy in this moment. She looks more grown up. She's got the red lip, the way her hair is styled, what she's wearing, something about how she carries herself. You can feel the weight of her responsibility and her resurrection. This is the moment around which the entire series pivots. And it's so powerful. The line is also a callback to Buffy's own death scenes. Mm. Right? How are you with death scenes? She's had two already. (laughs) And I think we need to also recognize that this scene and this episode in many ways parallels the gift buffy is willing to sacrifice herself in dawn's place right just as she was dawn was a a prisoner of glory in the gift going to die buffy showed up and is like i will take your place died for dawn saved the world got dragged back and now buffy's like Here's my chance to do it properly, right? She's showing up at the bronze to save Dawn, but also with the expectation she's going to sacrifice herself and hopefully it'll stick this time. Yeah, and that obviously that ties into what you said earlier about her having a death wish. I also had these same questions at the end of her song later, right? About her and her thoughts around sacrificing herself again and dying again. Yeah, so, so what Buffy says now is she says... 
um, have you got a name? And he says, I've got a hundred. And she says, well, I don't know what to call you if you're going to be my (laughs) brother-in-law. And um, Buffy says, deals this. If I can't kill you, you take me to Hellsville in her place. And Sweet says, what if I kill you? She says, trust me, it won't help. And he says, that's gloomy. And she says, that's life. And Sweet says, come on now, is that really what you feel? Isn't life a miraculous thing? And Buffy says, I think you already know. Quick uh, interjection here about Sweet. Mm. I've got a theory, Mm. Steph. That it's a demon? (laughs) (laughs) That it's a dancing demon. No, I I think that Sweet actually comes from a hell dimension where there is no singing or dancing. (gasps) And he's the only demon in that hell dimension who's obsessed with singing and dancing. He's constantly begging all the other demons to do like a singing, dancing, torture thing. And they're like, stop trying to make it a thing, Sweet. And he's like so frustrated that when he gets summoned to Earth, he's like, this is my moment, guys. (laughs) I'm going to show all those other demons that this is going to work. Sweet has always been the theater kid in hell, and this is where he gets to really shine. I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking Buffy actually does want to go to Hellsville because it's always song and dance. And like, who wouldn't enjoy that for all eternity? There you go. Two different readings, people. You can decide. Let let you be the decision. Uh, so, so Buffy sings her next song called Something to Sing About. And this is what we call an 11 o'clock song, right? This is a theater term for the big show-stopping number that occurs usually late in the second act where the major character comes to an important realization. And that's exactly what Buffy's doing here. As she's singing, she takes off her coat and she has this cute little shirt on and she's dancing. The minions attack her. Excuse me. Cute little, that red top. Oh my God. The cowl neck. Cute. No staff. That top is fire. It is amazing. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So the minions attack her with pool cubes and she's singing while she's beating them up. It's awesome. So what Buffy's singing about, right, is she's talking about how you should think that life's miraculous, like Sweet said, right? Like life is a a great thing. It's a gift every day. Um, Whistle while you work. Like everything should be really happy. But as she continues to sing, she's talking about how she really doesn't feel that way. There's a lot of things that she should be singing for, but she doesn't. Like in the one lyric, she says... Still, my friends don't know why I ignore the million things or more that I should be dancing for. She says, that depends on if they let you go, on if they know Call them out, know. Buffy. Call them the fuck out. Yeah. She's like, that when you've bowed, you leave the crowd. Um, and she's leading up to telling them her secret, right? So while she's saying this, the Scoobies arrive. And at one point, Giles is like, Anya, Tara, give her back up. And they go and they... Literal back up. <laughs> yeah, they literally... Also, I don't know if you notice, but when they're dancing in this, um, they're doing their best. Amber Benson, great singer, maybe not a great group dancer. She actually runs into the, the support column. Oh, does she? Oh, that's no. In the scene there. Oh. Yeah, she runs into it. You, you, could, you, you can barely see her running into it before it cuts away. And then the next time it cuts back to the the shot there, she's like she like slips behind it Aww. to cover the fact that she's laughing. Uh, well, I'm gonna go back and look at that. Yeah, so they're singing backup for her and doing the backup song. She says, uh, "Life's a song you don't get to rehearse, and every single verse." can make it that much worse. And to me, it's like Buffy is singing about her life here, right? Like every single verse as in like every year or every, every you know, milestone that you reach, 
is supposed to be happy, right? But in Buffy's case, it just gets worse and worse. It just gets harder and harder and harder. And she's basically saying, why the fuck did you bring me back, you monsters? Exactly, exactly. And as she's singing, the Scoobies are like genuinely confused by her lyrics. They're like, what is she singing? And Buffy makes it all the way up onto the stage um, and all eyes are on her. And she's staring at Sweet as in like, "Uh, don't make me say it, but he makes her say it. And she does, she tells them through song, that she was in heaven. Episode seven strikes again. Ooh, she was like, she says, there was no pain, no fear, no doubt till they pulled me out of heaven. So that's my refrain. I live in hell because I've been expelled from heaven. Ooh. So they all look properly horrified, especially Willow. Buffy has tears in her eyes and she jumps down in with an epic flippy-doo and then she starts dancing wildly, Kara. And we call this, from Glee, we call this hairography. Where she, you use your hair. Okay. You, you use your hair to show that you're not really a great dancer. But like her hair is flying around. So you're paying attention to that instead, right? And as she's about to burn up, it's Spike who stops her. And he tells her that life's not a song. Life isn't bliss. Life is just this. It's living. And you can only heal by living. You have to go on living. And Dawn speaks up. She says, the hardest thing to do in this world is to live in it. Buffy's staring at Spike. Willow's openly crying. So my question to you here, Kara, is was Buffy trying to kill herself in this moment? Or was she simply under Sweet's spell? No, She knew what was going to happen. She accepted it. Mm -hmm. She was fully ready to to sacrifice herself. Dawn saying the hardest thing to do in this world is to live in it is, of course, echoing back what Buffy told Don at the end of the gift, right? And Don's like, I'm going to repay those words to you. Yeah, no, but this is Buffy saying, I have a death wish, like, take me already. And that's the thing is like, Buffy's basically saying in this song too, like, it's too hard. Like, I'm, I'm in hell. I feel like I'm in hell. This is too hard. I want out. So in my opinion, I know you and I had different views on it in Bargaining Part 2, but um, this is the second time this season where I feel like Buffy's contemplated very seriously about taking her own life, right? And that's really dark. I, I, I agree with you at this point, yes. Yeah. So that's really sad, right? So 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 Sweet claps, right? And he says, now that is a show-stopping number. Not quite the fireworks I was looking for. Willow says, get out of here. And Sweet says, oh, I smell power. I guess the little missus and I should be on Gee, our way. I wonder if Willow's increasing use of magic will be a theme this season. I don't think mm. so. I think it's going to go away after this. <laughs> She's learned her lesson. Giles says, that's never going to happen. Sweet says, I don't make the rules. She summoned me. <laughs> and Dawn's like, I so did not. He keeps saying that. And Sweet says, you have my talisman on, sweet thing. And she does say, I was I, like, I have it, but I didn't summon anything. And Sweet's like, well, that's a twist. And Giles says, if it was in the shop, then one of us probably dot, dot, dot. And it's Xander. Xander fucking Harris raises his hand and he says, I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought there would be dances and songs. I wanted to make sure that we'd work out, get a happy ending. And then let me just finish this, Kara. Sweet says, I think everything worked out just fine. Xander asks if he has to go be his queen. Sweet says, it's tempting, but I think we'll waive that clause just this one. No homo. (laughs) He says, big smiles all around. You beat the bad guy. And then we get a reprise of his song. Heteronormativity wins again, Kara. (laughs) K. 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 
Xander. Oh, I'm, I'm picturing a staff wearing a hoodie and speaking into her uh, headphone mic moment. Xander is the cause of this whole episode. A man died and no one does a thing about it. No so consequences. No talk. No consequences for the straight cis white guy. He, he doesn't get called a rank, arrogant amateur. He doesn't get get shafted for for using magic. Like he Xander, we're in season six. Get your head out of your ass. You know that you're not well, supposed to be doing this, this shit. This is not the first time that Xander has gone astray, right? Need we forget hyena guy tries? Uh, need we forget? Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered, right? Like <laughs> revelations when he sought faith onto Angel. Ooh. Xander's done some messed up shit in oh, the past. Kick his ass! Like this is up there with them. People forget this. I forgot about this one. This is this is a hard pill to swallow. The fuck! The fuck! Someone cast him out. I cast you out, Xander. You killed a man. You burnt him up. That's that's on you. That's on you. I, yeah, I have no, I have no defense. All they can think about is, oh, thank God, he doesn't have to go be this demon's queen because he's not right? gay. <laughs> what? Right? Yeah, yeah, that would be so, be so terrible, you know? Like, oh, oh my God, uh, shame is all I have to say. Shame, Xander. Shame, Xander. I swear to God, I don't even, I can't even, I can't. Like, what can I do at this point? Like, you're just awful. You let a man tap dance himself to death. I, I think, I think we've been too kind to Xander. Up until now, Steph, on this show, I know our, our show has always been very staunchly pro-Xander. I think we need to come out. I think we need to be brave. I think we need to slander Xander here. I am I think we slandered Xander. We even slandered Anya a bit for being with Xander. <laughs> um, well, at uh, some point, right? Like uh, Anya, Anya, recognize who you're engaged to here. Yes. And and like, oh, okay. So let's talk about the reprise because I love it. Um, Sweet says, once more with feeling in it, right? He says, all your secrets you've been concealing, say you're happy now, once more with feeling. And then he disappears in a ball of light. It's classy as fuck. <laughs> I love it. Well, he says, there's not a one of you who could say this ended well. <laughs> Right, he's like he, he's right. he may not have gotten his queen. Yeah, he, he's like, did I really lose? No, he no he he didn't kill the slayer. He didn't get his queen, but they all feel really awkward now. So he's like, my job here is done. So are the seeds of discord. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel like you and Sweet would get along, staff. Oh, me and Sweet are are buds. Like I would go to hell with him in a second. <laughs> Okay, yeah, like he's kind of like in like praise Moloch. He's kind of like Moloch, where like I I created some disturbance, <laughs> like I didn't do the evil that I needed to do, but I rearranged their essence. <laughs> yeah. Do you think? Well, do you think he and Moloch would hang out in the demon dimension? Oh, abs- they're oh they're besties down there, and they make fun of demons like Toth or oh, Legos. Toth. <laughs> like they make fun of those demons. Uh, so, so. The Scoobies are indeed staring at each other awkwardly. Like, good work, sweet. Everyone's awkward. What, like, what is there to say, right? So they're going to sing. They're going to sing. Don starts by saying, like, where do we go from here? And where do we go from here is, has always been my favorite song in the, in the episode. Uh, still is. I just, cool. I just love it. This is the, the final song, right? The, the, it's the end. Again, we get Giles and Tara's voice 
singing together, right? They sing. Um, I love Giles's line where he says, the battle's done and we kind of won. <laughs> so we sound our victory cheer. Where do we go from here? I love that they all stand in a line and they like, you know, understand that we'll ha- we're hand- we go hand in hand. Yeah, and then they take each other's hands. Yeah. The choreography is really, really cute, really good. I love when Giles says, tell me. Oh, <laughs> orgasm again. Fuck yes. <laughs> How many Glorios did you have? <laughs> this is just, it's everything I want in a, in this episode is in this song. And because even Spike is really funny here too, because at one point they all, again, they say, um, when does the end appear? And they're all in the line and they're all, all their hands are up. And Spike literally comes to, and he's like, oh, he, he looks this. at his hand. <laughs> he's like, he, like, the head is like anchored in the air and he like pulls it down. And, <laughs> no, I completely, like him peeling off from the group dance number is such a great demonstration of like, how he's been so ambivalently in the Scoobies this whole season. (laughs) Yeah, he's just like, fuck this. So he leaves, and that's so classic Spike. And the Scoobies finish the song um, as Buffy runs out after Spike into the alleyway, and he says, look, you should go back inside, finish your big group sing, get your kumbaya's out. And Buffy says, I don't want to. And Spike says, the day you suss out what you do want, there will be a parade. 76 bloody trombones. And Buffy says, Spike. And he says, look, you don't have to say anything and then we get the coda song and buffy says i touch the fire and it freezes me i look into it and it's black this isn't real but i just want to feel and at the same time spike is saying i died so many years ago you can make me feel and they approach each other slowly and then they start making out oh god is this their first real kiss it like is. i know they kissed back in something blue but yes. this is like their first like actual kiss. yes this is the big kiss wow. the curtains close on a kiss god knows we can tell the end is near okay um end of what though <laughs> not just the end of the episode <sighs> the end is near now we saw the, the kiss the kiss has happened now the end is near but the end of what so um yeah so buffy's kissing Spike, uh, I want to bring up earlier, we said that Buffy had just tried to kill herself, like she had resigned herself to die again, but she was thwarted once again. So Buffy wants, she said in her song, she wants to feel, she wants to be who she was, but she doesn't know how to get there. So at this point, I think she's going to lean into the lust and sexual desire as a coping mechanism, right? She hasn't tried this yet. Maybe she can distract herself with Spike and make mm-hmm. out with him, and maybe that'll help her feel less miserable because everything else up until this point has not worked. So this is an interesting turn in the season, I won't lie. It's a dark turn. I believe that she's kissing him because she's looking for another out, like something else that's going to possibly jerk me back alive, make me feel alive again. Yeah. What do you think? No, I, I completely agree with that. And it's going to be interesting to me what happens going forward. What is the fallout from this musical? Tara and Willow obviously have some talk to do. What's going on with Spike and Buffy? What's going to happen with Giles? Does Dawn face any consequences for stealing from the magic box? Does Xander face consequences? Consequences. No. Um, <laughs> next episode. Can't uh, what a joy. And again, before when the curtains close, we hear, where do we go from here? And it's the it's the end of the episode. Oh, I adore this episode. I think it's so good. Uh, who's your hero, Kara? Honorary mention to Spike for, you know, stopping Buffy from bursting into flame. Good job, Spike. But my heroes of the episode have to be Giles. 
and Tara for telling it like it is. Mm. You know what? I was going to give it to just the whole cast and crew because I was just going to sell out and be like, even Joss Whedon, right? This was ambitious and they pulled it off. Good for you. But you know what? I'm changing my mind. The the hero, in my opinion, is sweet for coming in here, giving us a goddamn good time. Is this the first time we've made the villain the hero of the episode? <laughs> I think we've done it before. Um, but uh, he's the reason they all got that those truths out, right? He, he, he provided the table and he set the table for them to feast. But, so does that mean that Xander deserves some of that credit no, too? No, Xander's the reason the guy died. That's not on Sweet. That's on Xander for summoning Sweet. <laughs> wait, wait, but, but what? <laughs> but Sweet's the one who calls... No. Steph, I think your logic, I think your logic is confused from all those orgasms. <laughs> well, we've all been there, so... <laughs> Love it. I love this episode so much. It's so good. Uh, we do have lots to ex- Well, I'm sure we do. Oh, uh, let's see here. Uh, Destiny writes in, who wants to talk about going through the motions, uh, saying, I hadn't rewatched the show for years. I showed my boyfriend the show for the first time. Uh, we got to that episode and was amazed how much I related to this song. Uh, I've struggled with depression for over 10 years now. I have a constant feeling where I'm struggling to go on. I'm looking for something to live on for. I really love the lyrics they use. So uh, just a very personal connection there. And, and I think I, I agree with you. I can't relate in that sense, Destiny, but I agree with you that I think there's a lot about the lyrics in these songs that are going to resonate with people, even if they haven't come back from the dead or uh, even if they're not like, fighting monsters all the time, right? Yeah, of course. Thanks, Destiny. Um, our second hot stake is from Paul. He says that my interpretation of the under your spell scene is that of a rape scene. On the surface, it appears to be the lovemaking scene where Tara... Tara's levitating at the end equals having an orgasm, but Tara is literally under a spell cast by Willow and cannot consent. This would be awful enough by itself, but there's something dishonest about the show presenting the scene in such a gorgeous way, if not extra disturbing, at least disturbing in a different way about the show doing this amidst the beauty of the music, of Amber singing, of everything. Yeah, Paul. Uh, so, Cara, we didn't really talk about that aspect of it. We did say, obviously, Tara's under the spell, but we didn't get into this part well, well yeah the, the song because i think you pointed out like the beauty of it as a love song what it really does is it highlights how these very traditional ideas of romance in our society have this double-edged nature where the same sentiments depending on the tone you use and the actions that underlie them can be considered healthy and wholesome and romantic but they can also be creepy and toxic and abusive and unfortunately in our society Things like power dynamics and differences in gender or class or race or whatever, you know, they they distort a relationship. They distort that idea of love and can turn it toxic. So, you know, I think that's what Paul's tapping into here. And that's what the song itself does is it's demonstrating that the exact same words can be beautiful and creepy. Yeah, yeah. And like, we have to think about the actual act of them making love right when tara's under the spell because you and i came down hard on jonathan for having those twins in his house when they were under his spell that they didn't properly consent and i, I agree with paul there is a very similar if not exactly the same situation happening here and i'm i, I want to save the conversation to the future because i wonder if we'll get into yeah. it next episode we got more unpacking to do mm-hmm. 
Um, finally, we have Amy. Amy says Tara's outfit for the first half of the show uh, is a corset with a flowy dress, which is stunning, but I feel a bit jarring with her typical style. For me, it evokes fairy tale imagery, which you and I noted, Steph. Uh, Amy goes on to say, you know, it's a visual reminder that she's under Willow's spell. Uh, and when Tara discovers her memory has been wiped, she's in a very different outfit that symbolizes her waking up from the spell. Uh, it also makes me think of how of resurrection happy Tara and how different she's seen from season five. Is this the first time Willow has used magic in their relationship? Wish I could trust that it was just this once that was from, you know, Tara saying saying this. And you kind of brought that up and I had never thought of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you and Amy are on the same brainwave here. Well, uh, yeah, I agree with you, Amy. Like, the trust is gone. So like, maybe this is the, the first time. But, like, Tara has trust issues because of her family and the way they lied to her and then of course with the whole glory thing last year where she like got brain sucked or suck job remember that so <laughs> she's definitely really sensitive around memory and magic used in this way so how dare willow betray her like that um i can't wait to explore that further on as well excellent wow we've done it we've done the musical episode <laughs> it's behind us let's do it again later well we have our bonus episode we have our bonus episode <laughs> we do i'm excited um i guess the last thing to do is thank our chosen ones lizzie holly kayla jordan julian nicola louise joshua reese Susanna, <laughs> emma kyle destiny erica allison chase Haley, tasha ricky and amy thanks everybody where do we go from here Indeed. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join us in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook prophecy underscore girls on twitter also email us at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca where you can find the link to our discord can't wait to hear from you praise malik see you next week